It's the second part of Hebrews 11, and I'm going to take a little while to introduce this, and then we're just going to go through um, the reading together and make a few comments. Firstly, um, just to remind us, uh, as we know, Hebrews is written primarily to people who are believers in Jesus, and a bit like the man in Turkey, they are experiencing persecution, difficulty, suffering, setbacks. They're thinking, is this worth it? Do we go back? Um, And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, no, keep going, keep going. And the main thing he's writing about is saying, look at Jesus. Why go back? Why go back to what you had before? Uh, This is the whole story is about Jesus. Look how glorious Jesus is, more glorious than the angels. Look how Jesus is our priest, all of these things. Um, And we've been looking at that chapter by chapter. Then we get to chapter 11, and Jonathan, I think, last week, you had Jonathan here? Um, so Jonathan did the first part of chapter 11 which in some ways is kind of the pinnacle of what the the writer is saying he says look it all comes down to faith um, and what faith is and Jonathan really talked about faith and what uh, what it means to have faith in Jesus he said everyone has faith lots of people say I don't have faith I admire your faith I don't have no everyone has faith it's what they put it in that matters so even people say, I, I, I don't believe in any God. They've still got faith in terms of what they think makes their life work, what they think um, they're living for. But the writer to the Hebrews is saying, it needs to be faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Um, and faith isn't just kind of a fingers crossed, hopefully things will be all right. The writer says, no, it's a hope. There's certainty. There's real substance to this. There's something you can get hold of or feel. It's not just, oh yeah, hopefully Jesus was a good person, everything he said was true. No, it changes how you live. And then uses Abraham and other examples, and Jonathan focused particularly on Abraham, um, and how even though Abraham had faith before Jesus came, it was still saving faith because of how he lived. And then this chapter, um, the, the second half of the chapter, there's even more names that come in. Um, and to help us understand what's going on, I want a, a quick summary of the big story of Scripture, just to help us get the context. Yeah, Jonathan looked at Abraham. Um, I'm not going to look at all the names that I mentioned here, or just one of them. I'm going to look at the themes that come through. But to help us understand the importance, back in the beginning, we know God made everything. And everything was very, very good. And God made Adam and Eve, and everything was good. Until Adam and Eve, having been given absolutely anything and everything that God had made for them and for them to steward over, they took food from the one place they shouldn't. God said, you read the story, God says, here's all your food. It's about the third thing God says to them. Um, uh, No, tells us about them. Made in his image, made to rule over everything, and then God says, here's your food. Here's how you're going to live. That's the point. He wasn't just giving them a menu. He was saying, this is what gives you life. And Adam, but this one, don't touch this tree. And Adam and Eve took that tree, listened to the devil, and took the one tree that they shouldn't. Instead of choosing God's way how to live, they chose their way how to live. That's the point of the story of, of the tree and the food. It wasn't just that they had a wrong lunch that day. They were saying, God's given us this, and he's told us not to have this. We'll have this. And from then on, suffering, pain, death, evil, wickedness came into the world. God launches a rescue plan, primarily through Abraham, and he calls Abraham, Genesis 12, and says, Abraham, I'm going to rescue all the peoples of the earth through you, which is a miracle in and of itself, because Abraham was an old man. He couldn't have children. God said to him, you're going to have many, many descendants. And Abraham 
in order to follow God, had to leave his family, his father's household, and the land. Everything he took security on, put his security in, everything that made his life work, he had to turn from that and trust God for his life. A bit like back in the garden. If you want to live in my world, eat the things I've given you. Rely on me. If you don't want to live that way, then you eat this tree. Abraham was being told, leave those things now. Come on, put your trust in me. Live to a different script. Live to a different story. Don't put your faith in the things the world offers. Put your faith in me. Many years later, um, God has a great nation from the descendants of Abraham. And God gives them instructions. We call it the law. But basically says, live like this, and it will please me. This is what living my way looks like. And it will show the rest of the world there's a better way to live. So like Abraham, the people of Israel have to live to a different story, a different script, different from the rest of the nations. And what you see in the story of Israel, something we've lost these days, um, is that faith was corporate. It wasn't just personal. There are whole people living like this. So therefore it was political because there were many, many people living like this. Not political as in campaigns for political parties, but political in it was, it was a society. It was a way to live. It was a way to function. A, a way to do law and family and love and medical care and everything else. So God instituted all of it. And this was faith. Live different. Live to a different story. So the rest of the world can see there's a better way to live. In the rest of the world was murder and idolatry and suffering and oppression, but God's people were to live different. Some of them did. Sadly, many didn't. Some of the ones who live different are the ones in this chapter we're going to read about. That's why I'm giving you the background. So some of the names, in, well, all of the names in this chapter were the ones that were living different, according to God's story. And they were persecuted and suffered and went through difficulties, as we'll see. That's why the writer to the Hebrews is quoting them, saying, look, faith looks like this. You're not the only ones. You've had people in the past. Staying with the big story, God sends prophets. And the prophets are saying, remember, you're meant to live in a different story. You're meant to be living differently. God has shown you how to live. Now, come on, live this way. The prophets talked about a new thing happening. Deserts springing into life. Sick bodies being healed. The poor being cared of for. And God sending a good king who would rule and make everything new. Of course, that was Jesus. Moving on to Jesus then. Jesus comes and he lives to a different story. He lives to a different script. It's one reason why the religious rulers didn't receive him. Because he did start to spend time with the poor and the outcasts and the marginalized. The very people God had come to rescue. And he did bring in God's kingdom, but not through military might and military power, but through a love which meant sacrifice and the ultimate sacrifice of laying his life down. Because Jesus lived to a different story. If all life comes from God, then God can give you life back. You can lay your life down and know that he'll give it back. That's what Abraham believed in when he took his son to the altar. Well, God gives life, God takes away life, but God can give it again. And Jesus was raised to life. The new was coming. There was new life in Jesus. Sick bodies were being healed. The poor were being cared for. This was God's different story coming to its fulfillment. And the new had started. Hadn't come fully. It was still to come later. And the writer to the Hebrews in this chapter is pointing to that. And refers to it as a new city. There's a better city coming, a better place to live, 
a better home. And we are in that story. And that's where we are today. The new has come. Jesus has come. God's story is reaching its fulfillment in him. And it will fully come when he comes again. Meanwhile, live by faith. Now that was from Genesis to right up to this book of Hebrews in about eight minutes. I think that should go on the stories of breakthrough. That Andy Martin hasn't preached for months and managed to do most of the Bible in eight minutes. I will now spend, I don't know, an hour and eight minutes, two hours and eight minutes on the few verses in Hebrews 11. But that background is important. To understand the people um, that are being quoted here and when they were living, why they lived like that, and what the writer means by looking for a better city. So let's read it. And we're going to start in verse 13. Um, And just listen to the effect that faith has. Just listen to the amount of times faith is mentioned and what faith looks like. It's a hard chapter. Not because it's complicated. Fortunately, Jonathan and Johnny have had the complicated bits. I've got a simple chapter. It's hard because it's so easy to understand. It's hard because when you read about what faith looked like for these people that went before us. So, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. That city again, the new things, they saw them, welcomed them from a distance. Admitting they were foreigners, strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God isn't ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham and God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau regarding their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Chose to be mistreated. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover with the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spy, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Even prostitutes are saved by faith. It's the reason why I gave the kind of brief overview. All of these people are spanning hundreds of years now. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, remember this one, remember this one. And not all of us will know these stories, I know that. 
but his audience, their audience would have done. They'd have known who each of these people were. <coughs> what more can I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the, th the sword. So all of that sounds heroic. Kingdoms, justice, winning in battle, shutting the mouths of lions. Listen, whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. None of us know what that looks like. You can be released now. No, I've got such faith in something that better that's coming, I'd rather stay here. I'd want to go back out and live like everybody else. I'll stay here. It's amazing. It's a pastor in Turkey. He's in prison at the moment. Andrew Brunson, please pray for him. It's totally unjustified. It's because of the politics between Turkey and America. Pray for him. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so only together with us would they be made perfect. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Lord, this is your word. We know it brings life to us. But already, Lord, I think many of us are feeling uncomfortable. I know I am, Lord, and this is the second time I've taught this. Lord, this is such a different world. But each one of us are living with different pressures and difficulties. Some of them because of our faith, some of them just because difficulties and brokenness in family or at work. And Lord, your word can speak to those situations this morning, so I pray for that. I pray, Lord God, where we need a challenge, challenge us. Lord, we don't want to be afraid of that. Lord, we don't just want to come and have an, a nice pat on the back and say, there, there, Jesus is with you, he'll help you, and then we go home again. Lord, we want your word to wake us up where we're asleep. But Lord, many of us aren't asleep, and we need encouraging and strength this morning. So Lord, some of your word come and do that. And Lord, in situations where we're lacking courage and we're thinking it's so hard to speak for you, Lord, then may courage come to us. Lord, we're asking again, may your word do its work, please. Amen. There's so many stories here, so many lives referenced. Um, we're not going to look at them all in detail. Um, what I'd rather do is look at the overall thrust of what this chapter is saying to us. I'm um, Obviously, it spends a bit of time again on Abraham, a bit more time on Moses, and then it lists lots of people. But I'd like us to look at the overall thrust of what the author is saying. We can see how powerfully faith shaped their lives their decisions, and their reputation. It's fair to say faith is all-consuming for these people. There's not an area of their life that it didn't affect and didn't impact, including their reputation. Because of faith, because of faith, because of what we say we have in Jesus, they were mistreated, they suffered disgrace, some became outcasts, some were killed, others won great victories, but that was through weakness. That was faith. These people lived different. They lived in God's story, God's way, to God's script. 
and they suffered because of it. First thing to say from this passage, following Jesus means we live different. And we think, yeah, of course it does. No, it means we live very different and different from the norms of our culture and values of our society. Too often the gospel is preached in the West as inviting Jesus into your life and he blesses your life. And Jesus becomes an add-on and Jesus becomes someone that will make your work look better, make your family look better, give you strength when you're tired and all of that. Yes, he does. Amen. Jesus wants us living well. Jesus is rescuing us from the brokenness of this world and part of that is meant to reflect in your family and in your life and in your work and healing and blessing are part of the story but they're part of the story Jesus doesn't come into our life we come into his story and that's what we've forgotten or leave behind or don't always remember in its full impact coming into his story does mean blessing coming to his story does mean wholeness does mean forgiveness does mean shalom that beautiful Hebrew word that means wholeness but it also means we get out of the world story and live very different and our priorities are changed. It means we're not defined by the values and priorities of Western 21st century culture and all the things our society loves, consumerism, greed, hedonism with a constant seeking of pleasure in whatever form it takes, sex, drugs, drink, more possessions, better career, ambition, The church is meant to look different. And yet when it comes to technology and possessions and everything else, we can be just as passionate for the latest toy. I've got an iPad preaching to you from it. Don't know where I'd be without it. Don't need one, nothing wrong with pen and paper. I'm not saying it's terribly wrong, but we don't live that different. And yet these people did. And this is meant to provoke us. There's nothing wrong with a particular technology or particular possession or having a nice home. But what are our priorities? What's the story we're living to? You see, God's story, God's rescue plan script is to have a people who have faith in him, which means they live out a different story, a better story. With love, one of the words that the world loves at the moment, because in their definition it's all-encompassing, it means inclusion, it means anything goes as long as you don't hurt someone, and it's all in the name of love, so that's okay, isn't it? A better story, who with God's love and God's definition of love, means more than personal pleasure, but actually giving to others, and a love which sacrifices, and a love which isn't looking to our needs and our pleasures being fulfilled, but is actually looking to help and sacrifice for others. A story which has forgiveness and sacrifice in it. A, 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 new, a story of a new community, the church, whose relationships are committed to one another and looking to better one another's lives and not just our own. And a fulfillment that doesn't come from a promotion at work or a large friendship group or likes on social media, but a fulfillment that comes from knowing God and living fully human as he designed us to be which means living according to the things he gives us and not prioritizing the things the world gives us for our fulfillment. It's a different story. And a community, the church, that displays justice and resists oppression wherever it finds it. The church is meant to have a different script, a counter-cultural community. Following Jesus means we change stories. Everything in our story. That's what this chapter speaks to us about. That's why it makes uncomfortable reading. Because you think, faith, yeah, that's me. 
even talks about Moses somehow having faith in Christ. You think, how, how does that happen? Jesus hadn't come. I'm not even going to try and explain that this morning because I'd rather us look at the things that are obvious rather than the mysteries of how did Moses have faith in Christ when Christ hadn't come. The fact is Moses changed stories for the sake of Christ, the sake of the God's rescue plan. That's what the writer's talking about. <coughs> and we look at these people and think, yeah, faith, following God, that's what we do. And then, I don't know about you, but I find so much else of their story hard to relate to because we don't live like that. We are to love the world just as Jesus did. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. But here's the thing. The world won't always love us back, especially when we challenge their story. That's what happened to the people the book of Hebrews is referring to, and it still happens today in many parts of the world. I know people in prison. I know people who are suffering injustice. I know people who following Jesus doesn't look like this, but looks very, very different. (coughs) And the world doesn't love us when we challenge their story and say there's a different way to live. Now, of course, we must do that with love and compassion and mercy and not with judgment and vindictiveness in a way that, sadly, Christianity has done and the church has done. But it doesn't mean the world's going to love us and receive us. It didn't love these people, and it won't love us. Last week at South, um, during the worship, we sang Lift Up His Name with the sound of singing. Um, And it's it's an old song now. But it was just one of those moments in the worship where we said, oh yes, what a great song and just felt the presence of God. Lift up his name and we're all singing it in a building just over the road in university. You lift up his name in Birmingham University, you'll find out how much the world loves you. You lift up his name in some of your workplaces, you'll find out how much the world really loves you. You lift up his name in some of other areas of education or other (coughs) places of society. And the world doesn't love us. And the world doesn't love his name. And we can say, oh, Jesus, oh, we love Jesus and the things he said. And he was wonderful. He didn't start political parties. He wasn't into money. Um, He he didn't start a corporation. Oh, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus said this. No, 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 he didn't. That's your interpretation. Don't want that Jesus. We want this Jesus. Love the world, yes. The world needs loving. The world is broken. Our city needs loving. But don't expect it to love you back. I mean, it doesn't don't then think you've done something wrong. It didn't love Jesus. Put Jesus on the cross. And there was no one more loving, more compassionate, more giving in their life for brokenness than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You can't get anyone more human, more beautiful, more lovely, more gentle than Jesus. And we forget they killed him. And we think, yeah, let's live like Jesus. Let's show the gentleness of Jesus. If the world saw Jesus instead of the church, surely they'd love us. Have we not read the New Testament? Paul says, that's all I came preaching was Jesus. That's all I came to tell you about was Jesus. What did I do to Paul? He writes a whole book, 2 Corinthians. I might quote from it if I get to it in a minute. This bit isn't even in my notes. He wrote a whole book about suffering and being in prison and shipwrecked and saying, that's the gospel. And all I did was come preaching Jesus to you. Love, oh, please, let's love the world but let's not expect it always to love us back. Broken people will, just like they love Jesus. Hurting people will. People who are outcasts, people who have been marginalized. That's why CAP is so fruitful and so important. That's why we're celebrating 10 years of time for tea. 
because there's plenty of people who are ready to receive love. But the world is so opposed to anything other than its story. Next thing to say is this. You read this whole chapter, and actually it's in keeping with much of the New Testament. Suffering is still part of the story too. But we don't like to preach that. We don't talk about that very often. We prefer a gospel where you get blessed, healed, made whole, and life is okay. Or, in our technological, materialistic age, we've been so insulated from suffering that we can't relate to it anymore. But Jesus laid down his life. That's the gospel. At the heart of our message is a king who died on a cross. And he told us to do the same, to lay our lives down. Suffering is still part of the gospel. So is healing, so is wholeness, so is peace, but so is suffering. The church can be in danger of spending too much time and energy wanting the world to like it, receive it, make room for it. That's not the story. That's not what happened in the New Testament. Suffering happened. Yes, there was love and healing and incredible <coughs> miracles and breakthrough and crowds who came, but stones were thrown, people were put in prison, and the thing we've just read in Hebrews of what's happened to God's people for simply following him, sawn in two, put in prison, suffering disgrace. See, it was never Jesus' aim for the world to love him, be received, and to be popular. He lived a life that demonstrated the love and justice of God. And at times, that meant confronting those who disagreed. And we see, as I just said, that's what happened to the people in this chapter. Yes, there was love. Yes, there was compassion. But when they said, hang on, this bit, this bit of how you're living is wrong. King, this is injustice. This is not how God wants you to live. These are idols. Don't worship them. There's only one name we should worship. And they suffered. Suffering is part of the gospel. Until Jesus comes back again, then there'll be no more suffering. One of the most challenging verses in the Bible is in that, for me is in that chapter where it says the world was not worthy of them. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of Church Central? Our challenge then is to live a countercultural life where to live different and sometimes that's painful and will involve suffering but that's part of the story. This is tough. It's challenging to live this way. But Hebrews is saying this is what faith looks like. Don't give up. And this chapter, and we'll get there in a few minutes, is telling us there's great reward at the end. It's <coughs> worth living this way. So what helps us then? Those are the main things, the stories, I want us to see from the story. But it's also, there are some things here that help us. What are the things that the writer wants us to know help us? What are the things that can give us courage when it's difficult? What are the things that can strengthen us when it's hard? What are the things that you need to know this week for living another week of following Jesus? Remember, it's about faith. And faith means hope. Jonathan told us that right at the beginning. Faith is hope, certainty in the things you're believing in. Well, the thing that rings through this chapter again and again and again is this. Faith and hope in a new home. This isn't our home. This isn't where we're meant to feel peaceful, content, happy, fulfilled. This isn't it. You know what it's like going somewhere where you don't know how things work? Going into a, a new place or, I don't know, it could be a new place of work and you're thinking, right, where's my boss, where's their office and who's on my team and where am I meant to sit and where's the drinks machine and where do I do that? What do people do? At, like, you know, most, some of you will know those things. 
Or for those of you a little younger or older and have just taken kids there, a new school. You don't feel at home until you know where everything is. The church can feel too at home sometimes. This isn't our home. We've got a new one. There's a hope in the resurrection. Paul says, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, Jesus is risen and that's what's going to happen to us. The people in this chapter, they're looking for another country. They're not looking back. They're not thinking, oh, this was my home. If only I could, Jesus, come and be here with me. No, I want to go and be with Jesus. You've won for me. A home where there's no sin, no wickedness, no injustice, no sickness, no more death. That's my home. That's where I'm going. This is fleeting. It passes. We'll all be gone. None of us will be in this room, I don't know, 70, 80 years time from now. We're not going to be here. And yet we spend so much time and energy trying to be comfortable and settled here rather than investing in that place which we're all destined for because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and that's with him. Now, for too long, in too many places, the church has thought, so we'll just go insular, pull back, just sing our songs, waiting for Jesus to come because that's where we're going. No, that's not what the writer is saying. The writer is saying faith means you keep living, you keep engaging with the world, you keep telling the story, you keep living as a signpost saying there's a better way, there's a better way, there's another way. Jesus has won it, there is healing, there is forgiveness, there is mercy, there is wholeness, there is a love that will receive and accept you just as you are. There's a better way. We keep doing that, but when it comes to pain, difficulty, setback, discouraging and suffering, there's another home. Oh, that's what I'm living for. I'm not simply going to say, I'll take this away, or this is too hard, I don't want to live like this. I want everyone in my office to love me and like me and love my Savior, and and this is too hard, so I'll just stay quiet. I'll just put up. I won't speak out. The church needs to recover its voice if this nation is going to have any hope of getting through the next uh, few decades. All the latest things that are coming through on mental health and then connection through into social media and everything else that have come through in the last few months are only going to increase. And you think now is the time for the church to find its voice. And that means finding your voice. And if you think this is home, it's hard to speak. But when you know your home is somewhere else, then what can this world take from you? What's the worst thing that can happen to you and I? Death. And then I'm with Jesus at home. That's what the writer wants us to understand. That the worst thing that this world can do to us is take our life. And then we're at home. It's beautiful. We have a future hope. A new home. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, where his whole letter is about these things, therefore we're always confident. I know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord for we live by faith not by sight in other words let's not be home here we're living by faith not by sight we've talked a lot in recent years in the church generally and in this part of the world about our new identity and our identity being in Christ absolutely right but that also means we have a new home that also means we have a new place a new destiny death doesn't define us resurrection does that's what we're to be believing for and hoping for it's resurrection that should define the church let's do a couple more before we finish the hope of a new home the hope of strength when we're weak this chapter again is coming through even when there's victories it's saying they were weak god transformed them you look at the story of david yeah of course he's a hero goliath armies it's fantastic but then there was Bathsheba, and then his family fell apart it's tragic why? He was a weak man. 
When he turned to God, he had strength. When he turned away from God, he was weak. Isn't that our story? See, this chapter is saying, come on, have courage. Come on, live to a different story. Come on, speak when you need to speak. But it's not asking you to be strong. It's not asking you to be a superhuman. It's not asking you to be incredibly fearless. It's asking you to be weak and look to God in your weakness. Something else which we don't always remember. And when we're in difficulty thinking, oh, I've got to keep going. No, you haven't got to keep going. You've got to get on your face and say, God, I can't do this. Will you come to me? And know his strength coming to you. And know his spirit strengthening you. That's what the people in this story did again and again. Paul, two Corinthians, at the end of the chapter, I'll boast even more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That would change your average Christian conference, wouldn't it? We're now going to have stories of how David Holmes really mucked up this week, um, followed from stories from Joe Babington, and then Milad will come up, and then we're going to have one of the most awesome times of worship we've ever had, because as they fell and as they found it hard, Jesus came to them, strengthened them, and rescued them. And you can get the book and the video after the conference and a book on how to be weak and fail. I'm being silly, but you get the point. So often we tell a different story. And yeah, of course we want to tell the stories of miracles and breakthroughs, but we don't always emphasize the reason the miracle came was because there was weakness and brokenness. And that's what led to it. So the writer isn't saying to these people, keep believing, keep going, keep being courageous, come on, try harder. No, it's saying even these people who won victories in battles, shut the mouths of lions, they were weak. Friends, all of you, not being prophetic now, just true, are facing situations right now where you will be feeling weak. Be strengthened with the strength of God from this story this morning. Yeah, be provoked in how we live, but please hear the comfort that this passage brings, that there is the strength of God when we face weakness and difficulty and hardship. Final one. Right at the end, it says, these people didn't receive because God had something better planned. And that's the age that we're living in. That's what the writer is saying, the time that we're living in. So together with us, they may be made perfect. Isn't that stunning? We'd admire people like Moses and Gideon, Elijah, not mentioned here, but implied. We admire those people and think, wow, I'd be like them. Yet the writer to the Hebrews is saying, no. <laughs> no, they were looking for our day. They were looking for what we have. They were looking for the fulfillment of the promise, which is Jesus, and because of his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit dwelling with us now. I know the Holy Spirit's not mentioned here, but that's what he's talking about. The, the better day, the being made perfect, is that because Jesus has come, God isn't far, God now lives in us by his Spirit. That means every day we can know his strength in us. Every day we can know the comfort of Jesus being with us. Every day we know, right in the middle of the difficulty or the hard meeting or the relationship breakdown or the person we're trying to forgive or the anger we're trying to overcome, that those things have been broken like Sandra prayed at the beginning of worship. Strongholds broken now. Not trying to live with those things. Jesus has broken them 
and we have the comfort and work and power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's the better day. So don't hear this morning in the provocation and the challenge, which I really want you to hear. Don't hear that this is then beyond you and this can't be done. Rather, make it cause you to reach for the Holy Spirit, the better day that we live in. We live in the age when the kingdom has come, when Jesus is now ruling and reigning, while there's now a different ruler over the world. The prince of this world has been defeated. And yes, he's still working and he's still after you. But he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And we're living in a part of the story where fulfillment is coming and will come ever more increasingly. And yes, there can be persecution, difficulty and weakness. But know that these who went before, who can seem heroes to us, are actually made perfect in our day because of what we have in Jesus. So let's live different. And let's not live strong. Let's live knowing God's strength in our weakness. Let's speak when we need to speak. Keep loving when we need to love. Keep showing mercy and grace to those around us. And know that when it's hard and difficult, that's part of the story. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And it doesn't mean you're being overcome by the devil. It means the world is resisting you. And Jesus will give you strength and live with a passion that this isn't your home. Jesus is.